You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 43. Subscribe to us and leave us a review in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and more using your favorite podcast app. Visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussions, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And come join the community of slackers over at www.codingblocks.net slash slack. Follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. Do we have any news? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have lots of news. Sorry, guys. We dropped the ball. We still got to get, uh, we still got to get used to this new format. Uh, yep. We're switching some things up, but uh, thanks for sticking with us. Yes. So what's the news? <laughs> uh, I mean, we have the, the latest reviews that are in. Do yes. we want to talk about that? How about yes. that for news? We should do that. Uh, I think yep. whose turn is it to read these names? I think I'm scared yours. that it's mine. Is it? Is it yours? It might be yours. Go ahead. Oh man. Yep. Okay. Um. Well then, I guess here we go. <clears throat> uh, Dark Jedi Overlord, uh, Gustav, David W. Oh man, Zhao Hong. Okay, I like that one. Neo Anomaly. I am a resource. Alan W. Seven O Seven. G Dog, and. I, if I had to guess, Demiria? Demera? Demera? Okay. I, I could take that. I'll, I'll let one of you guys take that. <laughs> you know that like n- reading names is like my kryptonite. If your name isn't like John or Michael, then <laughs> I'm going to butcher it. We know this by now. All right, Joe. You, you got this next round? Okay, we got Knight Fallen, B May 1, J Cook 1017, Xiao Hong 89, Thalius. Ada Al Had Harami, sorry, Bree C thirty four and I Pow one eighty five, and we really appreciate it, guys. Uh, that's pretty much our only way of finding new listeners. Like that's our uh, our SEO. <laughs> that's our, our only way of showed up higher in the searches. So we really appreciate those reviews. You guys are awesome. Yeah, totally. And Zhao, thank you for doing that in both spots. That's amazing that you did it in both iTunes and Stitcher. So much appreciated. I, I don't like how easily Joe blew through that list, though. He made it look so easy. Man, he was studying that while you were struggling with he the first probably, one. <laughs> he probably was. Either that or I got the hard list and he got the easy one. I don't know. Oh, by the way, I did have a favorite of those. Though. I got to say, um, who was it on Stitcher that said that he got all giddy when a new oh. episode came out. Oh, I don't know about the giddy part. I, I thought you were talking about the I am a uh, resource uh, review. No, so hold on. Most, uh, because the thing I liked about I am a resource is he was talking about how our, our honest opinions, uh, you know, because we don't have guests, we just give honest opinions and there's a tremendous feature, not a bug. Yeah, he actually, he <laughs> did say... um. My wife would be the best to review this podcast, and she's the one who That's sees right. how giddy I am oh, every yeah. time a new episode comes out. Okay, so he was giddy. Yeah, that, that made me smile. It made me kind of giddy myself. So, Although I was kind of questioning when I saw Alan W707. I'm like, wait a minute, Alan. Did you write in? I did you change have, the spelling of your name and write in one? I might have various accounts all over because the Because it started out <laughs> really suspect because it was it you know starts out as this is the best coding podcast ever. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I agree. And that Alan dude is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not convinced yet. 
but yeah this is suspect but uh speaking of feedback actually we really got some great feedback and a lot of it for the last episode <laughs> um particularly uh about my butchering of the command pattern so uh, if you go to the website uh codingblocks.net slash episode 42 you can just look at the comments there on that actual post and you'll see a lot of really good information, people sharing really good examples compared to my not-so-great examples, and just uh, a lot of information going on in there. And uh, so you should definitely check that out if you are interested in design patterns. And uh, we also got a really great email from Wesley Backer, and he sent us some examples of uh, the command mediator and a few other patterns that are um, related to what we, talk, what we talked about. So we'll have some links to that on the show notes for this episode, which is uh, slash episode 43. And uh, he actually sent us a video as well, and I haven't heard back from him, but I'm hoping that he's going to put that up somewhere that we can share because it's really great information and uh, it's really thoughtful and nice. So thank you, Wesley. I, I still want to argue the point that the mediator wasn't the puppet master that... Uh... That put you guys to sleep? No, not at all. Can you hear us? Uh, nope. You can, you can hear us now. I can now. <laughs> I can now. Man. So uh, thanks for putting up with us again, guys. We're uh, switching some formats. We're putting some things... Uh, together and try and make this easier so we can put out more episodes but there's some rough spots so we're working on it yep um yeah i still want to go back to that mediator though and blame alan or not blame alan but argue the point that the mediator pattern wasn't the puppet master oh it didn't sound like it like i mean afterwards i i need to go back and read that one myself too so So did it make sense what i was trying to say then about it not being a puppet because all it was was to like facilitate the communication it without knew them what knowing. to talk to without blasting it out to everybody. Basically, is what it's the mediator like. was the one we got the least feedback about. No repository. Did we get much back on that one? Uh, that was a distant second. Uh, interesting. I was definitely the one who got the most feedback uh, next <laughs> last episode. So I guess that means I won. Well, I guess I was saving my feedback for the show. <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna say like, i'm wearing the dunce cap this episode i mean here's the thing right like we're all developers we're all fairly honest guys so you know we'll, we'll take the lumps as they come so yeah I, again we yeah. do appreciate the feedback though i mean we're not you know we're not the end all be all on everything here so so are you saying that last episode there you know last episode's audio had a bug that, <laughs> that the content wasn't right. Like, what are you saying? A bug went out in the audio. It's not a bug. It's a defect. <laughs> Big difference. Oh, okay. That's okay. awesome. All right. So what- uh, speaking of awesome. Yeah. Uh, I am going to a board game convention next week. Uh, Dice Tower Con for anyone who's in Florida or maybe going there. But I wanted to mention it just because I, I, I thought that uh, board games, at least the, the nerdy, um, especially European board games, are kind of a funny programmer interest. Like I, I know a lot of um, dev-minded people that really enjoy board games. And I think it's kind of funny because um, they usually are some sort of really arbitrary, complex uh, system that you manipulate. And it, it does kind of remind me a little bit of programming. And so I think it's kind of funny that, uh, or, you know, a funny coincidence that a lot of programmers do seem like board games. And uh, I was wondering if that was just me wishful, wishfully thinking that or if that's actually true. Like, do you guys like board games? Oh, dude, man, me and my wife, we play board games all the time. Like we have a fairly vast collection of them. It, it, nice. Yeah, it's it's a blast. So, what kind of board games are you talking about here, then? Because I mean, this is you know a show for developers. So, what kind of board games are we talking about? Um. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say um, not definitely not Monopoly. That's uh, everyone's favorite uh, you know game to look down upon in the uh, BGG community. But uh, you know, <laughs> Carcassonne. Uh, Did Catan, you just say Sellers BGG? Yeah, man, board game geek. Okay, yeah. I, I just found that kind of humorous. Okay, 
Those are my people. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, like, because like I feel like if we're going to talk about board games on this show, then you'd have to talk about a game like Sea Jump. Have you guys heard of that? Never heard of no. it. All right, so head over to www.c-jump.com. And this is a computer programming board game. Right? This is a great way to get kids started on programming if you want to introduce <laughs> some concepts to them. Very cool. I haven't played it myself, so you know I can only say that it's a great resource for them based off of things that I've heard others say. But it's pretty cool because if you read the board, like it's literally, uh, like you know the control flow there on the board. You know, if your current dice number is you know greater than three, go here. Else, you go there. If the number is this, you switch it on the case statement. Hmm. I was gonna say, what's it like? Roll the dice, figure out why that didn't work figure out why that didn't work roll the dice figure out why that didn't work uh no it's you roll the dice and then you're being told to roll three more dice but you only have one dice to roll and you're like i'm out of resources and like it doesn't matter you got to roll six dice because the dice have to get rolled this has to get done you know the, the games i'm talking about the uh the rule book is thick and there are often uh multicolored cubes multicolored cubes so okay. i haven't done or many, meeples yeah i haven't done many of those like with dice but like pandemic that's a whole lot oh, yeah. of fun uh we got that uh Seven Wonders, that's a fairly mm-hmm. complex that's one of my game. Favorites. That's a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think. Like We, we kind of went on a binge recently to where we just started buying some because they really are, and they, they stretch your brain too, right? Like You seriously have to think, and there's a lot of strategy. Um, I can't think of any of the other ones right now. Well, I was thinking like a classic like Risk. It, risk, risk is fun. Um, I almost, For the first hour or two. Yeah, yeah. And that's the problem, right? Like, that game drags on forever. It's like Monopoly. Okay, so, so then you lose. That's why it's not. No, it's just nobody ever I, wins. No, I get it. No, sh- hey, it's <laughs> fine. Hey, Alan, look at me for a minute. Blink if you lose. Oh, never mind. I get it. I got <laughs> it. I'm with you. No, uh, that would it would it would be horrible. That's then. like Monopoly. It's like the never-ending <laughs> game. Basically, people will just start doing stupid things to make it end. So right? you lose at that yeah. one, too? Blink- oh, yeah. No, yes, I got it. I got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, I oh. guess that would be boring too. But yeah, dude, totally. <laughs> we we are into the board games. We we love them. And if there was a convention around here, we would probably be some of the people going to it. Well, nowadays it's all about the video games, though. There's no time for board games. I don't have time for video games. It's high noon. <laughs> so so Michael just hit the floor. I did. I did. <laughs> you've been you've been playing a little bit, huh, Joe? Yes, I love it. Uh, it's a it's a great game. I've been really happy. Um, I th- you know what it is is uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, work's been really crazy lately. It's been really busy, and so when I'm not working, I don't want to do anything that isn't fun. So I have been playing the heck out of some video games lately. And so if if I'm not working, I'm still sitting in the same spot, but uh, either playing Overwatch or one of the games that uh, I just bought in the Steam sale. But wait, don't you now have two bionic wrists? Like you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. This you, is you why have, he can. You have, you have two bionic wrists now. You, you can't play We games. can rebuild him. Yeah. We can make him better. <laughs> I mean, I built this big rig so that I can kind of keep my arms all floating up in the air. I look like a spider. <laughs> all right. So wait a minute. What's your favorite Overwatch hero to play as? Lucio. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. So you, you like the support guy then the best. Yeah. I can't aim. And I like Winston a lot too. So yeah, anyone where I don't really have to aim, I just have to like stay alive and uh now have you been checking out like like uh, have you been checking out masteroverwatch.com? No. So they have stats on like which heroes are, you know, having the best uh you know streaks in terms of like kill death ratios, popularity, win rates, 
you know, score permanent, things like that. And, you know, some of them you're like, okay, I guess I saw that one coming. Um, you know, but one, and I cannot remember how to say this guy's name. <clears throat> the, I, I don't, why, why am I trying to say another name? Tor, Torbjorn. Oh yeah. Yeah. Torbjorn. Yeah. Molten core. Yeah. That guy, he, uh, he he's like one of the top uh kill death ratio guys right now but he's actually about to get nerfed on the consoles. Oh. So, yeah. I maybe Alan one is... of these days I'll see the game. I haven't even seen it <laughs> yet. There's a lot of fun characters on there though, but I think that's like part of the challenge is trying to play is like not getting stuck in a rut and playing as the same character trying other characters. Okay, but here's the real question. How does it rank in terms of some of the best Call of Duty games you've ever played? Better. Is it better really? It's so much more fun, and the pacing's great. There's not any sitting around. There's not a lot of frustration. You know, I feel like whenever I die, I deserved it. So here's here's an interesting contrast I'm gonna get because it is a lot of fun, and I'm not gonna take away from that. Is it better than a Call of Duty or a Halo or you know a Battlefield? I don't know. It's a lot of fun, but my son he made a great point about it that. Um, I couldn't really argue against him with, and that's that he said he he theorized that the game would lose popularity rather quickly compared to other games like a Halo or a Call of Duty, because you don't have to earn anything. You just start the game and you have everything you want. Oh, there's no level up system. There's nothing like like you do level up, but it's really pointless. There's you gain nothing from it. Uh, there's really you get nothing from it, and if you do get like. Um, Joe mentioned he was looking at the skins that he had for his characters. Like, if you get any of those skins, it's like, okay, who cares? Like, really, it changes nothing about the way your character plays. Every your character hand looks a little different. <laughs> every character is going to play the same and have the same abilities as the day you first start playing the game. Hmm. Unlike a Call of Duty, for example, where you have to level up to get to certain guns, it feels rewarding to a it, certain degree. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You know? I get that. Well, one of these days. That's pro and a con, though. Yeah, I, it's I agree. It, it is. It makes it to where everybody can have fun right off the bat. Right? But I thought it was an interesting uh, theory, though, for you know a youngster to come up with. Yeah, it, that might be. Well, one of these days yeah. I'll play it and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right, well, if you do, you should hop into our uh, Pound Gaming channel and uh, find some people to play with. Hey, wait, you also listed here that there's an Overwatch Steam sale. So are you, you're playing on PC? Unrelated. Oh, okay. I am on PC, but uh, yeah, Overwatch is Blizzard. Steam sale is different. Um, I have almost every Steam game now, so it's not as exciting. But I did round out my collection of roguelikes, so I got a, a couple ones I've been having my eye on. <laughs> they could just sit there and collect dust in your yeah. digital library. It's embarrassing. <laughs> hey, what, what percentage of games do you buy versus play? Or, or play oh, I could probably buy. figure that out. It'd, it'd be really embarrassing. There's so many games where like, I go to buy it and I already have it. I'm like, oh, and then there's so many games that I have, and I'm like... What the heck is that? I think you have an addiction there, Joe. Yeah. You have a yep. problem. Uh, Do you have yeah, the same problem with board games? Do you realize like, oh, crap, I already had that version. No, um, I don't have that problem probably because I can't uh, use them by myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, the interesting thing, though, is these these board games are, are as expensive as video games. A lot oh, of yeah. Them. Like, they're not cheap. Yeah, we're not talking about risk. Like, if you go get Pandemic or 
or some of these other ones out there, they're 40, 50 bucks. So like, you're not talking about like a game that you would see at a big box store. You're then. not going to see this at Walmart. Yeah. These are games that you find online. Like if you go to Amazon and you sort by like popular board games, you'll see some on there you've never heard of. And they'll have like, you know, 500 five-star reviews. Like they're, they're fun, but they literally, if you don't go watch a YouTube video on how to get started in the game, it'll take you an hour to read through the directions and figure out all the ways that you need to do things to play. Like they're they're not simple games, but at any rate, I think we've uh, we've killed the game stuff. What? Yeah, never. All right. So, uh, what what do we got next? Well, I think this episode we're just going to uh, this this is like more random thoughts, but not just my head this time. (laughs) These are collaborative random thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) At least that's what the voices in my head tell me. Awesome. So I guess in this case, let's let Joe pick the first one because he said he had one he was going to surprise us with. I'm kind of curious what that one's going to be. Oh, God. Yes. And actually, uh, this one was sent in t- uh, to us by Steve. Uh, and I don't know if you want to say your last name or not, so I won't. But uh, he wrote us about uh, the age old debate of using arbitrary dates in your database to represent either max or unknown dates. So the, the idea there is that instead of having a nullable column, you use a date like January 1st, 1900, or December 31st, 2525, to represent some sort of uh, you know arbitrary rule in your system and anywhere in your code and whatnot, you know to check for that specific date to uh, mean you know either unbounded or unlimited. You know what? I actually... So here's my take on that, being that I love database stuff. I actually like having the value in there, and I'll tell you why. And it's got more to do with performance than anything else. If you really? if you choose to put a null in there for for indicating that there was no starter end, right? Like let's say that you have a table that you say, "Hey, I want everything for this given time slice." If you typically would do a between there. Now you've also got to do like uh, an is null type oh, right. thing around it. So now you have this yep. this scalar I thought operation. That might be where you're going. Yeah, you got you got to do this scalar operation on the column and every piece of data that it's scanning through in the table in order to do your between. And so there's actually a performance hit on that. Now that comes contrary to the space hit that you take by putting a value in there. But I, I feel like if if you're going for performance, it makes more sense to have have that data in there with either a minimum value that you know about or a maximum value. That's my take. How about you, Allah? I mean, specifically for dates, hmm. I would like to say that I agree with Alan, but yet so often is the case where it's just null. Right. I mean, yep. I hear you, man. You every January first, nineteen seventy for everything. Yep. But it's, it's but you are. I mean, that's the point of null. It's to to represent something that either doesn't matter or I don't know, right? And so we're kind of redefining that. But it really does make querying so much easier. And at a glance, you know, I think it's really obvious, at least for a human, to tell that that date mean is meaningless. Uh, yeah, maybe. I guess it would also depend too on like what the what the data is. Because January 1st, 1970 might be a valid date. That's true. So maybe you need something a little bit more obscure. Well, I mean, even if it is a valid date, 
That should be fine, right? Well, um, no, no. As long as there's be. nothing before it, is what I'm saying. It, 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 no, because no, then you'd never be able to differentiate what the what rows have that date because they A mean it, and versus. which ones have that because they don't mean it. Right. You just talked me out of it because I would hate for one table to say use the 1900 trick. And for the next table to uh, to not be able to use that trick because that, that's a valid date. And so now I've got some tables that that rule applies to and some tables that don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that for performance reasons, if that's what you're trying to do, then it makes sense to put it in there. If if it has nothing to do with performance, then then maybe leave it null because it is. If it's not a real number, then it should have no data, right? Or not a real date. I mean, it would also be weird, though, too. What if you had... Okay, I'm, I'm just making up something. So this is totally contrived. But what if you had a some data stru- some table structure, right? So some table schema, and the, col- and the columns included a create date column, right? And maybe an update, updated date column, right? Well, if the row has never been updated then why have a value there? So even if it was a dummy value, it still reads weird because now you're saying the created date is today's date and the updated date is some date, you know, many years ago. So right? I totally agree with that. And so I'm going to, I'm going to modify my statement. <laughs> so for created and modified I didn't mean dates, to sway you, but no, it sounds no, like I, I'm doing a pretty good job. I, I, I should run like for that. president. You I, know what? Outlaw for president, <laughs> y'all. 2016, uh, we're taking this thing over. So, I, I actually agree with you. If it's a created date, a modified date, then those should be real values. They should all, and those should always have values. Okay. Like real ones. If it's something like, I guess when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about something like active date, right? So let's say that you have lookup tables. Like I'm not a fan of deleting data. If you have a lookup table, then let's say that in that lookup table, you have, you know, a, a type or a type name or something, right? I'm not a fan of, hey, if this lookup type is no longer valid, then just delete it or mark it as deleted because then you have no history. Oh, so you're saying like using a date as to whether or not to know whether or not something is active or right. not? Right. So, you know, you'll see a lot of times people will have like Like here's flag. my order statuses and these stati- these status, only the order statuses that have, like, because let's say order status is your lookup table. Yep. Yep. Right. So the order is either processed, it's shipped. Yes. It's, it's uh, pending. Yes you know, packing, whatever. Yep. Okay. So then you would want to use the date of whether or not the status is active. So no. So typically what you'll see in a lookup table is like an active flag, right? Or it's a bit. Yeah. A bit. And the problem with that is there's no history to it. You never have any clue. Like, was this actually used back last year or was this just, Oh, so you want like a last used column or something? a, A begin active and end active. So, so let's say that you have, but um, that still seems like those would be like times where you'd want real dates. So not, no, not January 1st, no. 1970. So the begin date, yes. The end date, you would want some arbitrary or maybe not arbitrary, but some selected max date in the future Oh, okay. because you want this thing to stay active until you turn it off. When you turn it off, then you set that end date to whatever that time is that you want to turn it off. But then that also goes back to like if you have a lookup table like that, like I'm not a fan of just re-enabling one that was already there. So let's say that you had an order processing thing and you had a status in your warehouse where it was on the floor, right? 
so that was active from January 1st last year till June 1st of last year. If you ever want to bring that thing back, you don't re-enable that record because you lose the history on it. You create another record that would then have its own start and end date, even though it's going to be the same name, right? It's going to be on the floor. That'd be weird. No, but the thing is, the beautiful part about that is when you go to query those statuses, you literally just say, hey, give me the status where it's active, where today's date is between the start date and the end date. And that's why having an end date that is 2525 makes sense. Because if you do a null in that end date... I mean, I guess I see where you're talking about with max with a max date, because I was thinking of like a min date would be your your default there. I still don't necessarily follow along with the, the order status example. So because so, I still don't understand why you wouldn't just re-enable the the you previous lose the one. history. You lose the history. So Yeah, but what does it matter? You're re-enabling it. Like what if you, what if it was only disabled for a day? Who cares? What if you want to know that, hey, we stopped using this thing for some reason last year, right? Well, I feel like I feel like in this contrived example though, like if that were the case, there would be a better way to get that information mm. that like, hey, we we've stopped using this. Like you'd probably have some kind of like history kind of table to know like hey we no longer use it like you wouldn't use those two columns for that so i think that's what's throwing my my head off for this example here's the problem with what you do if you re-enable that so let's say that this thing came into play at january 1st last year and then you cut it off june 1st last year okay now what do you do when you go to re-enable this thing do you say the start date is now whenever you turn it back on and the end date is out in the future or do you act like there was never a gap and you just leave the start date the same that it was and you extend the end date to some date in the future? So now you don't even know that there was a gap looking at the lookup. Like I mean, again, this is like where this example is falling apart because like, I guess like, well, one, you got a complicated story here, my friend. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I don't understand why, why no, we care about the flows. statuses like this. No, you don't. You that happens all the time, right? Like you change a workflow out in a warehouse, and you might introduce a new step, right? Like you could introduce a new step, sure, and you but you're talking about as well. Yeah, but the way you're describing it, though, is like I don't. I mean, granted, you um, went with this arbitrary order status, but I'm, you brought I'm, it up. No, I, I said a type. I'm gonna rewind. Yeah, you, you did the order status, but <laughs> at any rate, so do you get what I'm saying, though, Joe? Like the reason why I would go with a start date and an end date, and the end dates off into the future, because when you query to get the active statuses that are available, you just say we're dates between the start and the end, and that's it. Yep. Can we if, rewind? Did I really bring up the order status thing, Joe? Did he bring up the order status? I'm losing my mind. I don't know. He did. I was just looking at your faces and. He, he told. Oh together. no! Yeah. Okay. Because you said a lookup table, and yeah. so I bring. I raised. Correct. I brought up order Correct. status as an example. Yeah. So at any rate, that's the reason why. So I amend it. If if you don't have to do anything that's like a between, I totally agree. But for created dates, modified dates, things that actually have a meaning. But every time we use a date, though, it's generally because it means something, and that's where that's where I have the problem with it. Like. I understand what you're saying with query. It definitely makes queries easier. And faster. Not just easier. And, and faster. I yes. won't take that away. But you generally want the date to mean something. Well, how about this? Have you ever had a bug that was caused by records not being returned because of a null value? Oh, absolutely. And yeah. so that's where... And because where I was thinking where... Now, this you probably wouldn't do this on a date column, but I was thinking about joins specifically are yep. 
annoying. You got to do an, an is you know, null or something. On where it. you do have to do like an is null, and then if it is null, provide some uh you know constant you know as your as your seed right, so that it can match on on a null. And that's a performance <laughs> hit because uh, yes, and that's why I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying it's not a performance hit. Yeah, a big one in many cases. Right. Definitely. Well, d- let's say depending on. The on size. the size of the data the that you're trying to right. query, right? But it's going to force typically a table scan over a seek. If we're talking SQL Server sp- specifically, it can't index data that it doesn't know about because you're now trying to say if this, then that. Like that's literally what an is null or a coalesce is going to do, right? So it's uh, you are killing your query optimization when you have to do a join on that or a where on that or anything like that. So yeah. All right, so I guess so, we should blame Steve then for like you know breaking up the band yeah. because we don't seem to agree on this. But well, I, I, so here's where I'm at on it. Um, I agree that uh, arbitrary dates are faster and less error prone, and I still don't want to do it. <laughs> so but I'm of two minds. So how are we supposed to come to a consensus? But yeah. why? But why? Why don't you want to do it though? Because that's what nulls are. Nulls for it's. It means I don't know. It's it's blank. There's no value. Hmm. I, I mean, you wouldn't do that for an integer, right? You wouldn't say, uh, yeah, um, negative one, because we're never going to have negative values. People do that all the time. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> even... that's but, okay. Now, that is wrong. But you know what? Objectively, that is wrong. So that brings up the next conversation that is completely off, off the cuff here. And this is because this correlates very directly to a conversation I had on Slack with Jason. And he was asking about the same type thing with an integer. And his was a weird situation. It was an access bug, really, that came out to be the issue. But um, he asked, if you have an integer field, should you default to zero other than putting a null in it? Or should you have a null? And I was like, man, that's that's really not... It depends on the situation, right? Like, if it if it... I don't like Sometimes that. Re- zero is a real value. Yes. Yeah. And exactly. That's, the problem. that's what I'm saying. Like this. Go- this is the same exact thing yes. as the dates. Yes. Is you know, if zero is supposed to be a valid value in your system, then you, then you could be forcing a meaning that shouldn't be there. Because null, a, zero. a null would be an unknown, whereas right. a zero would be a known. Yeah. I mean. That that's basically what I told him in the situation to where you know maybe it's being used like sort of as a boolean or something. I mean, that could be a problem. I mean, if I ask Alan right now how much money is in Joe's bank, and Alan says I don't know, that's very different that's than Alan coming back and saying zero, zero, zero right. dollars yeah. are in Joe's account because then I'm gonna be <laughs> or like, negative hey, one. Hey Joe, are you okay, man? Yeah, but see, and no, send me some money. I think that's really the problem, though, is everybody has different ways of doing things, right? Like some people will use that integer thing and put a negative one in there, indicating all. Like, well, the I th- the, the example I gave him was permissions, right? Like a lot of times, you'll if somebody if if you've implemented some sort of permission system in your data, right? A lot of times people will use null to say that you have everything, maybe zero to say that you have nothing. Wait, what kind of permissions are we talking about? Uh, just I guess I guess I'm thinking like the way permissions are done in like a Unix system. Well, that's where yeah, that's oh, different. No. That's With bit flags, shifting no. and stuff. No, th- this is more like um, if you are going to like, let's say that you have a table. Is administrator? Yeah, right? yeah, an admin. You might have a negative one saying that that means everything. Some people use a negative one. Some people use a null. Um, well, like, I guess here's my take on both of these though. There is no one right answer. Correct. Like, 
It's going to depend on the situation based on, like, is zero a valid value? Is you know, January 1st, 1970 a valid? Do you, do you, are you joining on massive amounts of data where you need that little bit of extra performance that having a, a date value instead of a null is going to mean to you? Then maybe those are things that matter. But if if you want to define, if you want null to mean an unknown, then that's your only option. I, I'm in favor of not nulling the column and forcing a value. Really? Uh, I mean, like for a date, not, not a created date. Check da- your commits. So, so yeah. like, like, like I said, a created date, a modified date, absolutely. Those should have valid values I, in them. I see some code reviews in your future. A start and an end date. <laughs> Totally, I, I'm all for not knowing those things, and I'm gonna be like, "Hey, Alan, I see this new table schema. Uh-huh. I don't see any defaults on this ta- this date column. I'm gonna find somebody to approve that pull request for you. See, <laughs> <laughs> rubber stamp, rubber stamp time. You just gotta find that person that doesn't really look all that hard. <laughs> yep, right here, baby. <laughs> it depends on when you ask me. If you ask me for a pull request at uh, you know 5:30, guess what? <laughs> approved. <laughs> so uh, I feel like we just spent 15 minutes talking about this and the answer we have decided on is it depends. Yes, totally. Or I don't know. <laughs> I think our answer is null. <laughs> <laughs> we have a null answer here. Uh, that's awesome. This episode is sponsored by Infragistics. Enterprise services, UX focus, UX first. Infragistics UX first focus does not end with mobility solutions. UX prototyping tools, or developer tool sets. Their UX services team can help drive success in your initiatives by examining your existing and future technology requirements to help you better understand how to modernize your enterprise. Infragistics can help with technology migrations, modernization, and mobilization efforts. They can even help build and drive a user experience-focused culture in your organization by integrating UX into your process from the start. Also, Infragistics has a blog where they discuss a number of relevant topics that may help you in your development challenges. Head over to www.infragistics.com and get started with your free 30-day trial. All right, so for our next topic, this one comes up simply because I've had too many discussions about it here lately, and people are completely polarized on this on this topic. So, storing queries, how many pixels to move the logo? <laughs> right. So where should your queries be? Should they be in procs in your database or should they be in your code? And mm. let the fighting begin. Can I vote neither? That's, Can that be an option? That's interesting. You don't like no data. queries? <laughs> you don't like data. Well, <laughs> yeah, we're devs. We don't, we don't write queries, right? <laughs> you guys aren't writing queries. There are DBAs for that. Well, <laughs> if you're using, you know, depending on your tool set to Uh-oh. get to the database, Here it, it might be making its queries on its own for you. And so that's completely, completely abstracted away from you. You don't know how it's getting the data. You just trust that it is. And you don't know how bad that query is, is getting it for you, is what he <laughs> said. Um, you know, that's where you might have to, you know, poke around, do some inspection, like see how to write your code better <laughs> to better optimize how you retrieve the data. But the point being is that maybe you aren't writing the queries yourself. All right. So, so let's quit beating around the bush here. So outlaw is voting for an ORM basically is what he's saying. And I'm uh, sure- <laughs> saying like, like if I had to even lower it to two letters, there's one that comes to mind. What was it? A, B, C, D, E, F. <laughs> that, that 
you know, entity framework that, you know, you wouldn't know the query that was being written. Well, right? GraphQL, man. What'd you, you say? Know, you know what's funny? I got an email from a Facebook recruiter, um, and, and the email basically just said, hey, you know, contact me at Facebook. We got GraphQL. So I, I responded back one word. No. Three letters. <laughs> PHP. No, I, I didn't. I'm joking. And I actually don't hate on PHP as much as I hate on JavaScript. <laughs> uh, oh, man. That hurts. All right. So I, I am curious. So we know where, we know where Outlaw stands. He, he's definitely strongly in the ORM camp. And we'll say Entity Framework will be his, his horse. I mean, in a .NET world, I'm definitely a fan of Entity Framework. Okay. Joe, you, your take. Yeah, I uh, I advocate for procs, but it, it's one of those. It depends. Answers, you know, in a normal business situation, it would probably uh, I would probably be closer to doing something like link to SQL or in any framework. But if you are dealing with serious amounts of data and you're having query performance problems and, and stuff is getting hairy, then I love having my logic in procs so I can ship them off to experts for help and I can say, hey, look, here are the arguments in. Here's the query output that I want. Do whatever nasty black magic weirdo stuff you have to do. So in other to words, make that happen. you want to delegate your SQL writing. Well, I'll write it first. It's just someone <laughs> has to fix it. I got you. I got you. You know, they, they need to do some CTEs with some temp tables and some unions instead of ors and just other weirdo stuff I'm, that I don't have you to know, deal with. I'm sure there have been once or twice or a thousand times where I've had my hand slapped by a DBA. Like, why would you do that? And I'm like, oh, I thought it was the way to do it. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, I used to be strongly on the proc side of the world, like, probably for most of my career, because I've basically worked in SQL Server, and, you know, that's just, that's what you know, that's what you do. And for whatever reason, in the past year or so, like, my whole brain has been going scalable. Like, how do you scale? And here's my problem with doing it in a proc. So, let's say that you have just tons of data and indexing no longer gets you where you need to be, right? So that thing that you handed off to the DBA, what's he going to do now? Well, he's going to be like, well, you know what? We've got 300 million records in this table and we got 200 million records in this table. And the only way we can make this faster is we're going to have to create another table that's a flattened out version of that and index the heck out of it. And then that's how we're going to go about fixing this problem, right? And here's- Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid. And here's my problem with that particular solution, right? So if you look at SQL Server, it is an OLTP. It is an online, uh, it's a transactional system, right? It's good at fast inputs, reads, writes, and that kind of stuff. When you start trying to do reporting out of a system like that, where you have hundreds of millions of records, that's not what it's built for. So here's my thing is I've started thinking about, okay, well, what about tools like Elasticsearch, right? The whole point of that entire piece of software is stupid fast querying, right? Like you tell it the types of, of, of results you want, and then you feed it data in that format, and it's really good at that. So if you build everything into procs now, you don't really have the ability to pivot and use a technology like that. If you built it in your code to where you had something like a repository pattern, right? to where you call something and then you don't know what it uses behind the scene. Currently, it could use Entity Framework, right? And it could query SQL Server. Or maybe at some point you say, man, my database is really dying on these hundreds of millions of records that it's trying to join across 20 tables. You know, we need to move this into a search index. 
your repository is still the facing piece that you use. And now instead of querying SQL Server, whether it was a proc or code, now you're calling something like Elasticsearch. So that's where I kind of feel like having that sort of built into the code allows you to be able well, to pivot more. I and I feel like I feel like okay, because just to play devil's advocate with that mm-hmm. for a moment. Regardless of whether or not the query was in your C sharp code, for example, mm-hmm. or your Java code, for example, versus it being in a sprock the repository pattern could still be abstracting away how the query is being called, whether it's calling a sprock to query it or whether it's calling a select statement that's baked into it. Either way, that's being, that could be abstracted away. Yeah. And if you decide to bring in something like a Hadoop or Elasticsearch or whatever, then you know you're, you have another repository implementation that could get called. So either way, you don't have to have the, co- the, the query itself in the code. Okay, let's take one layer on top of that then. Because I agree, that's absolutely correct. But typically, when you put that stuff in a sprock, don't you also bake your business logic into that sprock? Well, okay, so here's where here's where I was coming at it. Here, here's where my point was on it, though, is that when it does get into specifically business logic in your sprock, and, and I also want to say a special kind of business logic, because what if and I can't really think of a good company example to, to, to describe here, but um, maybe if your company, like if that was your secret sauce, right? If the value that you were providing is whatever that Sprock is, right? Then you're just giving away your source oh, when, when someone gets the database. Yeah. Whereas, yes, I know somebody can decompile your code, right? And, you know, un- uh, obfuscate it and things like that. Like I realize that there's ways to do that, but you're making it a lot more work. I mean, it's kind of like the old saying about, you know, locking the doors on like your car, for example, right? It's you're, you're not keeping the person who really wants inside of that car is going to get in inside of that car, but it's keeping honest people honest. Yeah. Right. And if you're just giving away the, the, the database with the sort procedure in it, then, you know, some DBA is like, well, hey, I could make this thing better. I can make it do my own thing. Like, you know, so if that's important to you and that is your secret sauce for the company, then that's where I kind of feel like well, that's weird that you're going to just put it in the sprock. So, Joe, do you have any more input? Because I have one more example as to why you would put it in the code. Is it about order statuses? No. Oh, no. Order no, I'm pretty sure uh, I was right the first time. <laughs> so <laughs> you just give it to the DBA and let them deal with it? Yep, done. So I'll give you an interesting one. And this actually came from uh, Instagram. So if you haven't, you should check out their tech blog because they talk about all the challenges they had as they grew, right? Like, I mean, just like just any kind of MVP, any minimum viable product that you put out there, you start off a particular way. You probably just had it in MySQL and then it grew and it grew and it grew. And then you were like, oh God, it outgrew what it could do, right? They talk about what they did and it involved database sharding. But in order to do that, they had to do it at the application layer because generally speaking, what the sharding is, is you have data that falls within a particular range on server A, then you have another range on server B. And so sharding is basically putting data on different systems so they can all be super efficient at getting that data out, right? But the knowledge of where to get that data lied in their application layer. 
I believe that's correct. So if you put it in that layer, now the place that knows how to go get that data is in your application and it can do it. If you stick it, and here's the other part of it that I think is fairly important. If important, if you think about things in terms of like a microservice and being able to scale, if you have that microservice, you can put it on 30 different servers, right? You no longer have a single point of failure. If you use a database server to say, okay, go query this link server or that link server, that is sort of your single point of failure. Sure, you could have a failover, but it's not as easy to spin up multiple database servers, nor is it cheap compared to, oh, well, let's just spin up another process on another, you know, fairly lightweight box over here. And then you have microservices that can scale out. So to me, it's more about the scaling thing as to why you might want to put your stuff in code versus in a proc in the database. Hmm. I, I feel like I blew away your whole theory for putting it in the code because the sprock, it could still be calling a sprock with a repository pattern. No, I'm talking about the scaling. Now, if you call yeah. a sprock <laughs> on the server, now, how are you going to know, oh, well, that data is not on this server. I need to call out to this other server to get that data because I sharded that server off, right? That's on shard number one over here. So that's what I'm saying. If you have that in your application logic, you can scale out that application, that microservice to put it on as many boxes as you need but to. But don't, I mean, again, okay, so just playing devil's advocate here. In your repository pattern, let's harp on that one since okay. that was apparently one pattern we got right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, couldn't it have that logic of knowing like hey you are asking for this query well this query is going to go against you know i'm going to make this call against this shard over here where i'm going to execute this proc you could potentially do that i, I mean yes to your point yes you could spread the sprocks out amongst various different database servers right you totally could because i mean if like the at the core of the question as i originally understood it was do you write your select statements in your in your do you bake that in with your c sharp or java or c++ you know do you right. bake that in or do you abstract it away to where it's in a stored procedure and then we didn't even talk about examples where maybe it's in like a config file like uh an ibatis might use right yeah, yeah i'm not a fan of that but but either which way it's still kind of in your code i guess the only question though is when you talk about doing that in the hmm. you understand like yeah yeah i mean that that's where like your example was kind of yeah i don't know all right i think we beat it up that's a tough one i mean yeah i, I don't know there, there's arguments for them both obviously but um. so just to kind of sum it up we're basically saying um if by doing the code you buy yourself some flexibility doing it in the database you uh it's a little bit easier to delegate and look at those things in isolation and so uh once again i guess the answer is uh I, it depends yeah, but I still feel like the the one last thing I do want to touch on that I, I kind of missed, though, is if you put all your logic, like your business logic in your proc, you can no longer act on that in your application. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like if you did switch from, I your, do agree with that. from your SQL server and you go over to Elasticsearch. If you're Elastic putting search, business logic in your yes. query, then that's where it gets weird. Yes, it, and a lot of people do, right? Like that's part of it. That's that's almost inherently dumb because you think about, oh, how do I need this data to come back so my application We could illustrate this really, ex really easily by tying it back into the to the 
date though. You could say like, hey, select this, and if the date column is null, then let's default the date to this you know, current date or you know some date minus thirty years ago or whatever, right? And if you baked that into your SQL statement inside of your Sprock where it was determining what the date should, format should be, because on your let's say C sharp side you decided to be lazy and didn't want to have to null check anything, right? Now you have some business logic in your stored procedure. Yeah, and that, I guess my whole point with the business logic thing is if you do move from SQL Server over to Elasticsearch or some other you know, type of data storage that's going to be better for whatever that use case is, if you had all that logic baked into SQL Server, now you've got to either duplicate that over in Elasticsearch or you're going to have to move it down to your code so that it knows how to understand it properly. So either which way, you're going to have a lot more work well, that'd to do. That'd be a big regression. It's going to be a lot more work, right? So that that's kind of the other point is if you put it in your application code, then no matter what your data point is that you're calling, then, you know, so at any rate, yeah, it, again, it all depends, but those are some viewpoints on it. Well, let's, let's talk about something fun for a moment. So, <clears throat> sorry, we talked about what type of development do you prefer? Now, oh, yeah. You better not have cheated. I have not looked at this. I haven't oh, even okay. looked at the emails that have been coming through. All right. But I hear Joe's awfully quiet, so that means he did. <laughs> You're too busy playing Overwatch? I hear you, man. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you keep saying McCree, but like you said that wasn't your favorite. <laughs> yeah, I'm dead. Yeah. Yeah, I know that I'm dead as soon as I hear it. I'm like, that's too late. I already heard it. Uh, um. <clears throat> All right. So, what type of front end development do you prefer? Front end UI, full stack, or no? What type of development do you prefer? Yeah. What type of development do you prefer? Do you prefer front end UI development? Do you prefer middle tier slash server development? Do you prefer back end slash database development, or do you prefer full stack? So, all of the above. And Alan, you were full stack. I think we talked about what our purposes were. So, you were full stack, and Joe was definitely JavaScript. I think I got that right. Right. You you were totally server side, right? Yeah, Joe was server side. Uh no, I don't know. I think I said full stack maybe. I don't Did know. You? Um no, I must have said server side else I would have been lying. Which would you prefer the most, like honestly? Server side. Oh, yeah, so middle tier type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, you got the four choices. Wait, what was yours? Um I don't remember. No, what is it right now then? <laughs> oh. Uh Server side is so much easier to write unit tests for. Okay. So if I didn't say that that time, I'm going to say it this time. All right. So so you're middle tier back end. But type I stuff. don't know. I do a lot of full stack though too. So I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you get bored, but it's so much easier to write unit tests for just the server side. <laughs> all right. So you feel you have more confidence in it. So all right. So let's see how confident you are with your answer. All right, so which one do you think is the winner out of those four choices? Give me a guess. I want to say full, full stack. stack. Full stack. Oh, both of you are going the full stack route. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's some confidence. Okay. We all have ADD. We want to bounce do you wanna, around. Do you want to... Okay, so do you want to like break break out the tiebreaker, you know, prices right style? And you guys give me a percentage as to like how much you think the full stack won? I'm going to say... 60. 60%. Man, that's what I was going to say. All right, 55. 55. 55 from Alan. Okay, so this price is right rules. Okay, so whoever, if you go over, you automatically lost. If you both go over, you both lost. 
right? <laughs> right. You should have. It's too late. You said 55. All right. So I'll go ahead and tell you this. It was full stack by a lot. Really? Yeah. It was. It was. Server side was the second, but it was um, pretty decent, you know, uh, ways away from full stack. Full stack had it. By. 55.1. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. So I think Alan did cheat after all. I did not. That previous stuff he was saying about like, oh, I didn't even look at it. Man, I don't look at this stuff. Yeah, that was a lie. Nobody got time for that. I see there's Do you another think that's lie. representative of uh, of all developers or just uh, the people who fill out surveys? Well, Man. obviously people filled out the survey. There were a lot of people who filled this one out, though. I did see emails flowing in a lot. Yeah. Um. So there, there were there were quite a few responses to this one. I mean, you know, overall, I, I mean, think most people like to take a break for something, right? Like, if you're working on C sharp all the time, like maybe it's nice to jump into JavaScript or into SQL or I don't know, man. Like, I, I definitely feel that way. Yeah. I don't like waiting on somebody, so I don't want you know Johnny UI uh, messing my feature up or you know somebody else on the back end uh, jogging their feet or getting stuff wrong. You know, I'm that way too. I, yeah. I'm totally that way. But it is nice, though, when you only have to write a, a server-side component, and you're like, oh, you know what? I can write a unit test to make sure that this is absolutely correct and be done. And then someone else, some other jerk, will be like, hey, you forgot a unit te- a use case because here's a bug. And you're like, oh, thanks, <laughs> guy whose name starts with an A. Right. Yeah. I guess I didn't miss I didn't get that one. <laughs> Even I, though I had, like, 99% test coverage. I was just trying to help you out, man. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you thought it was on you? Oh, wow. Well, that's awkward. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so so who's who's introducing this next one? I think I think Joe needs to because this is like one of his favorite. Do we things. not have a topic for the I'm sorry, but do we not have a survey for the next one though? Nobody wants to come up with a survey. Oh, do we have a survey? Favorite Overwatch character? Oh. That's all man. I care about right now. That'd be so many choices though. There's like what, uh, 16 yeah, characters, 25 characters, something like that? Oh, There's good. a lot of characters. No, we can't do that. Yeah. All right. Um Okay, well, oh. I guess we didn't think about that one. So, okay, no survey about, this uh, time. I got an idea for a survey. So, um the lowest percentage, do you see what it was um for client side? Uh in the survey results? Was it UI? It was UI by far, yeah. Yeah. What was the percentage on that? <clears throat> 1.4 whoa 1.4 okay so that's i mean that's tiny so the question is then why do we prefer server side or or rather why don't people like working on ui alone and so that'll be the survey for next time we'll have a couple uh interesting options up there we want to know why only 1.5 percent of people uh picked uh ui only i wonder if like i wonder if they're thinking like if everyone was thinking like only CSS. Like, oh God, I don't well, want to I do mean, CSS all day long. We we have people who are not just web developers, right? Like, we definitely have some Android people, and yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, I wonder when people read that, like maybe they had like a different, you know, certain interpretation of it. So yeah, you're right. Maybe if they were doing like mobile development, then they're like, well, I have to write the UI component and the you know the the middle tier part of it myself. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, let's let's put that out there. We'll come up with some interesting options, and uh, and we'll see what happens there. Although th- there is this one comment that I've had here, like in my in my little uh, log of things to mention, that kind of goes along with this though. When we we're talking about CSS, <clears throat> and that's that, you know, 
this general thought that like, well, pixels matter, right? Like we we joke about like getting a ticket or no, we've had this joke specifically several times where like you'll go to interview for some uh, you know, company, let's call them company G, and they give you the interview and it is a brutally harsh interview. And then you get through it and you get your new job and they give you the first ticket. And it's like, we need the pixel. We need the logo moved five pixels to the left. And you're like, really? Like, what was that interview about that we just did? Right. So, you know, we've definitely had that joke, but they're, they're, you know, placement matters and and we need those people who care about the design, who care about the layout, who care about where the pixels are. Right. I mean, the maybe, users. That's the users, right? Maybe we don't want <laughs> it to be. Maybe we don't have to want to have to work on something pixel perfect necessarily. But you definitely want those people on your team that are that that do care about the pixels. Well, I think that's the biggest problem, right? Like, it, there's a gap uh, a lot of times from what I've seen, or at least in my experiences, you have the designer. He has this picture in his head, right? And the picture is glamorous. It's beautiful. Well, I mean, it's a photo. It's PSD. So sure, it's beautiful. Right. And then they're like, put this on the web. Right. And now you're- That happens way too often. And now you're in 10 different browsers on three different OSs trying to make this thing work. Oh, I mean, not even browser specific. I mean, uh, uh, at a previous company for an iOS app, I was given a PSD and they're like, here's your requirements for the app. I'm like, a PSD is not a requirement. What are you talking about? Right. And, And that's the hard part, right? Like- a lot of times it's not even the the designer's job to implement that where it goes. And typically the person, I don't want to say always, but a lot of times the people with the skill sets that can do the CSS and that kind of work, that's not the only thing they do, right? Like, cause the thing is, is companies don't want to be like, Hey, what's your skill set? Oh, CSS. Um, what else do you do? Right. Well, I guess part of my point though was like, I didn't want to, you know, because we've made those jokes before in the past, and I thought, well, that's really unfair to like anyone who truly is like just a a you know CSS you know uber nerd, right? Then you know it's not fair to them because there's some dark CSS magic out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you seen some of the? I'm trying to think of an example now where like entire worlds have been created, uh, where it was all CSS driven. Oh, dude, have you but, ever been to CSSZenGarden.com? Um, oh, if you want to no. see some magic, man. Um, So this is actually where I learned how to do CSS back in the day. You go to CSSZenGarden.com. Essentially, they have, they've got this thing where you can click all designs. It's the same content on the page for every single page. It's the same divs. It's the same spans. It's the same text. Oh, Everything but- you click is different style sheets. So different CSS. And it is amazing what these people have done with this stuff. Yeah, that's not, yeah, I mean, that's cool. That's not the one I was thinking of, though. Um, yeah, you're talking like, like animations and stuff. People have made games and stuff uh, in, in CSS. Yes, that, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm talking about. Like, Dude, and, but crazy. I can't think of any. Uh, um, yeah, you're dang. talking about people that actually work with a canvas and all that kind of stuff. That's, yeah, that's hardcore. I mean, there are some, yeah. there are some extreme Somebody examples made, uh, out there. There's Super Mario right here. I'm, you know, quote unquote playing. Ooh, CSS Super Mario. It's not the whole game, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely animations. It's moving around and it's all in CSS. Is it, uh, and it's 
uh, on CodePen. Is that yes. the one you're looking at? CodePen.io? Yeah, I'm on it right now. All right, we'll put a link on that. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of crazy stuff I'm talking about. So, I mean, mm. you definitely want people on your team where those pixels do matter. And it's not necessarily the designers, not necessarily who I'm referring to, Alan. I mean, I know what you're talking about with the designer, but, you know, where, where you know, there's a level removed there, right? So they create something and they hand it off and, you know, it's it's their 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 baby. They created it and they hope that it gets made right. But what I mean, though, is that, you know, someone who's actually in there writing code, because as much as we might dog CSS, I mean, that is some serious code. Oh, it is. Oh, I just I found Mario Kart. I did too, dude. I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm playing it right now. I wish you guys were in here with me. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> okay, now now I'm a little jealous. CSS <laughs> Super Mario or Mario Kart, rather. Yes, Mario Kart. Oh, this is killer. It, you play as Yoshi. <laughs> uh, if I win, then uh, is this uh, thingsinjars.com? Yes. Slash labs slash so CSS cart. Although, oh, my Lord. Yeah, it's not very fast. That kind of hurts, but. No, and you can just stop. <laughs> it's very easy to make tight turns. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Anyways, all right, so we digress. Hey, what's our next topic? <laughs> uh, our next topic is going to be Super Mario Kart. We got Or lost. Mario Kart. We got or... lost. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, so what is the next topic? I uh, wanted to talk about logs. Well, yes, well, let's do that. Are we doing that or the next ad? Let's talk about logs. Let's talk about logs, baby. Yep. So uh, we talked about this a little bit on the 12 Factor app, and it definitely had a very strong opinion on uh, you writing logs to standard out and then managing those logs uh, external to your actual application. That way you don't have to worry about um, any of that stuff, whether it's database or whether it gets splunked out or or whatever. So uh, I did like that aspect, although it it does uh, put the onus somewhere else. And so it is kind of nice to have that centralized if you're just doing something small, but um, you know that, that's not the only option. Uh, most of the time, I think it's stuff either written to disk or uh, you know some sort of like Windows event logs or something like that. Well, I had I had a conversation recently where somebody was like, "Hey, write some. Let's write all the logs to the database." And I was like, "Well, that kind of stinks. What if the error was you lost your database connection? Right? Like, like what are you going to do now?" So, like, my thing was I didn't even say standard out, but that's more of a that's usually more of the Linuxy type world, right? It's so well like, according to Twelve Factor, right? Which is definitely very Linuxy, very Linuxy. I mean, extremely Linuxy. But I mean, my thing would be, wouldn't the file system be the safer? Or if you're using something like a log for net, you can have it write to multiple streams at the same time. But a queue would probably be even the best thing, you know. I, I don't know, man. It, but then that also relies on some sort of connection. So and your environment, yeah. I mean, if you have like you know a couple queues set up for you, then that's fine. But if you have uh, multiple installations or or whatnot, then that's not going to work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the database is tempting because it it does buy you some stuff for for uh, quote unquote free. You know, if you have multiple app servers, you don't have to worry about aggregating those logs. You don't have to. Uh, you know, deal with any of those headaches that goes along with that. It's all going to be centralized in one spot, and it's easy to query that. But then that's making a lot of assumptions, like you having access to prod databases and stuff like that, which are all big no-nos for big like websites, but might be perfectly reasonable for your company if you're doing uh, you know something a little bit more specialized and smaller um, and more isolated. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those it depends cases again. But I just like writing stuff to disk. So even if I did put it 
in the database you know i like being able to go in there and turn on you know or up the le- the level of logging and see all that stuff written to disk and and know that it's getting uh you know rolled appropriately and stuff's getting cleaned up and so i don't have to worry about um okay, you know, but then or anything. what about though if depending on like that's not going to work for everything though because then you can start thrashing the disk if you're talking about a system under heavy io right yeah, so you got to you know, hopefully you're using a, lo- a, lo- a logging library where you can dial that back by even if you dialed it back. So. Let's say you dialed it yeah. back. So you're you, talking about just a disk that's constantly getting your facebook.com, right? Your facebook.com and you got millions of users hitting you every minute. Yep. Okay, right? you can't. You can't you can't log well, That's the also disk. not one app. You know, I mean that stuff's getting logged all over the place different boxes and and you need to have some sort of log aggregator to pull that stuff together otherwise you're never going to be able to make sense of it. You know, I'm sure it's like microservice galore. But that's kind of an interesting point, though. So, I mean, what you're talking about having, you know, some some sort of log aggregator like a Splunk or a Logstash well, or something Splunk like was that. totally what I was thinking of. But but that doesn't take away the problem that you're still writing to a no, disk. No, it doesn't. Right? Because your disk is still getting thrashed. Splunk is only taking it off everyone's disks and trying to put it into a place. But doesn't Splunk have an API where you could write directly to it? Yeah, I mean, you can push stuff. It's got all sorts of options. Yeah. Um, it can like read streams, and it of can course, if network is one of partly. your problems, then you're still up the creek. And that's the problem. I mean, that's why you've always got so, to consider. Like, disk is probably your safest, typically. Although space is going to be an issue and uh, other things. Well, what I was thinking of is like, you default to the database, and then for those times where you do have the database connectivity issue, then sure, log it to disk if you want. You know that issue. But you probably have bigger things going on if you can't access the database, well, right? So you're probably already pretty aware that something's down. It's an interesting. Guess. It's an interesting thing, right? Like, I mean, at what point do you have to, like, we talk about decoupled systems and trying to make sure that you have layers and all that. I mean, you have to have some level of confidence in certain things. Otherwise, nothing works, right? Like, if you don't have confidence that your network is working, your app's not going to be able to talk to your SQL or to your database or to whatever, right? Well, right. right. Well, that's kind of where I was going because if you're logging, if if you're saying like, well, I can't log to the database because what if the database goes down? Then it's like, well, wouldn't you just be logging something that you already are aware of anyways? The database is down. Uh, well, it no one not- ever said... Oh man, these this, these logs are on disks. No, <laughs> if anything, it's oh man, there are no logs. Right. So I don't care where it ends up as long as there's something I can look at. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I mean, so here that gets into another topic that we won't dive into too deeply here, but that's where alerting is a very important thing that a lot of right. a lot of people think about after the oh crap moment happens. Right. Until your alert goes down. Right. Right. It, <laughs> Jeez, it's, like I said, I mean, like, I know you say that, but that's definitely it can happen. Totally, having played around on some you know projects on the alerting side, yep. Um, it can be there. There's there's different types of alerting that you can do. So you could do polling from whatever the resource is, and then you can do polling from some external source, right? right. So that the so if you have, let's say your server, your database server, and it's sending polls every now and then like, okay, here's my system health, right? Then if it ever stops, then the other side can say like, well, I haven't received anything in X number of intervals. Maybe this is a problem. And that's where it can start to, 
you know, raise the the alert. Um, but if it goes down, then you also have this other problem where, like, okay, now it's not sending anything because it's down. Yeah, it it it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, with with systems getting as complicated as they are now, like, there's there's a lot of things you have to take into consideration. But I think the three of us can definitely agree that more logs are better, right? Like it's better to have an overabundance of information than to not have what you need to be able to track down a problem. Yeah. I've definitely had one problem a lot, 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 lot more often than the other. <laughs> right. And, and that, that's frustrating. Now I will say though, that brings up another quick thing that everybody should be aware of. If you are logging things and you're logging verbosely, you need to be careful about the kind of information you log. You don't want to be logging social security numbers. You don't want to be logging things like that, right? Oh, yeah. Like, make sure, because it, it might just be your thing to where you're dumping data that's in some sort of object, and huh. you need to be careful. Like, be aware of that, because that's the kind of thing that could sink your company. It could sink you. It could sink your company. It could sink a lot of things. So, yes, log a lot, but also be aware of what you are logging. So I think what we've gathered about logs then is it's big, right? It's huge. It's heavy. It's necessary. Right. It's wood. <laughs> it's log. It's better than it's better than bad. bad it's, it's good. good. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, that makes me so happy. Uh, we'll have to have a link in here for that. It, it is old bad. <laughs> I, I blame that on Outlaw. He's been around longer than me. Whoa. <laughs> Wait a minute. Things got weird. I think I saw this on YouTube. It, it was definitely more recent. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> Who did that? <laughs> Boot camper. Yeah, I see you, pal. <laughs> Wasn't sure if you were following along there. <laughs> yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> Jerk. You know, out of respect, when you were reading your ad read, I didn't even put my cursor anywhere in that block because I didn't want to throw you off. I believe I heard, hey, you want me to read this? <laughs> That was during a take. Uh, All right. So. This episode is sponsored by Dev Bootcamp. Think about becoming a software developer? Check out Dev Bootcamp, the original short-term immersive software development program that transforms those new to coding into job-ready, full-stack web developers. Learn front and back-end web development, teamwork, and leadership skills in a rigorous and inclusive environment. Dev Bootcamp has several locations around the country and is accepting applications now. Visit devbootcamp.com slash codingblocks to learn more. Nicely done. Alrighty. Yep. All right, so imposter syndrome and then on to the tips. Yeah, I'm going Uh, All right, I got it. <clears throat> All right. All right, and we're back in three, 
All right. So for our last topic, I wanted to ask the question, do you ever feel like software development is a constant series of being made to feel like an idiot? Totally. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all day, most days. <laughs> because I don't know, I mean, like, so often I'll be asking them, like, well, I don't know how you would do that. Let me think about that for a moment. And then it kind of makes you feel like sometimes you're like, well, I don't think I belong. Like, I don't. I feel like maybe I'm not the same as the rest of these guys here. <laughs> well, and man, if I, I don't be. come out with a good answer real quick, they're going to see that I'm not up the par with them. They're way, they're light years ahead of me. Oh, man, I could be brutal on myself. Uh, yeah, after working all day, I, t- I think it comes in. I'm like, why have I not learned how to test after 15 years of doing this? I still can't make sure my stuff even works. Like, what was I thinking? And then like, that's not even talking about um, my lack of using design patterns properly or just uh, clean coding. I look at code I wrote three weeks ago, and it's terrible. And so it's not even that I feel bad today. I should have felt bad three weeks ago when I wrote that crap. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm totally nasty. with you. And you know what? So a friend pointed out there's a name for this thing that I had never heard of beforehand called imposter syndrome. Had, had either of you heard of this thing? Yes, only because I listen to business podcasts, and apparently that's like a big, big, big deal in people just even getting off the ground, right? So, it, because it's almost like a form of depression. And you know, this is the human side of programming, and it's real easy to kind of get down on yourself, and it can it can really drag you under when you have that in the back of your head, like. Oh my God, this dude's talking about 500 things that I've never even heard of. I, I want to, I want, I just want to read you know, what Wikipedia has here for this because after reading this, like it made me feel a little bit better. And then I was like, yeah, but it's still not, I'm still not worthy. <laughs> but it's also known as imposter phenomenon or fraud syndrome. Okay. And it's a torrent, a curm, oh, yeah. A term coined in 1978 by a clinical psychologist, or two of them, Dr. Pauline R. Clance and Suzanne A. Imes, referring to high-achieving individuals marked by an inability to internalize their accomplishments and a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud. Despite external evidence of their competence, those exhibiting the syndrome remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve the success yeah see I can't even read this and do not deserve the success they have achieved proof of success is dismissed as luck timing or as a result of deceiving others into thinking they are more intelligent and competent than they believe themselves to be some studies suggest that the imposter syndrome is particularly common among high achieving women so Either I'm a woman or I have imposter syndrome. Wait. Well, what if it really is uh, luck a high and woman. chance and I really don't know what I'm doing? Well, you know, in all fairness, here's, here's what I'll say to that. And this is the kind of stuff that I have to tell myself from time to time is, yes, there is a bit of luck. Yes, there is a bit of timing. But if you hadn't put yourself in the position to be there, when that timing occurred or when that luck so happened to 
happen, then then you wouldn't have been in the situation to have even achieved what you did. So it's it it's so easy to get a task or or be in a room with somebody, right? Like it like we all have a mutual friend who who for all intents and purposes is a whiz with cloud, right? Like he knows so much about cloud and to hear him talk about it, sometimes you're like, oh my God, I know nothing about huh. programming, right? Like in and, and it's almost frustrating to a certain degree because you're like, man, I've been doing this stuff for a long time. Why is it that I have no idea what he's talking about, right? But it's well, that's why I kind of like made the joke about, you know, maybe I'm a woman because I wonder why I find it curious that the study suggests that it's particularly common among high achieving women. Like why, why is that a thing? Why is it like, okay, everything else that I read up to there before that last sentence, it was like, oh yeah, I totally understand that. That makes sense. Right. That seems like something that every one of us could relate to. And then there's that last sentence. I was like, well, huh? Why is that? It makes me wonder if uh, women in tech have it particularly bad. I I mean, I mean, they do for lots of reasons, but for this one, this this wasn't to be clear though. This isn't specific to, uh, you know, engineering. No, it's not. I mean, this, this could be any kind of, you know, job. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I hear this all the time in business podcasts. If you listen to entrepreneur on fire, this could be Hillary Clinton could, could feel imposter syndrome. I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, no, you didn't want to like jump on the political man. Not at all. Because it's even. outlaw 2016. That's not, why. That's right. Outlaw yeah. for 2016. But I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, it, the reason why we brought this up is this has been a topic that's come up in Slack quite a few times, and it's come up from people that you can tell they know what they're talking about, right? Like when 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 a conversation comes up this topical, whether it be C sharp or JavaScript or some server technology or whatever. And then you'll hear them say something about they have imposter syndrome. Like, like, I don't feel like I could do this. Or, or I was asked a question and I was like, well, how in the world do I not know this? Right. But I think that's actually a problem with our field. Like let's, let's think about it from a particular standpoint. Like if you're a heart surgeon, right. You are going to be extremely knowledgeable on that one thing. And it's not like it changes that much. Right. Like, there might be studies that come out that tell you that different types of heart disease can happen or whatever. Well, there's advancements in, in procedures. There though. can be advancements in procedures. But, dude, how much does programming change from month to month, from, from week? Well, that's always been the thing about software development, though, right? Right. Like, it's a constant learning Every three curve. months, there's some new technology or some new library out there. And I think that's part of the reason why. Or at least it feels that way. I think it. It's got to be so pervasive simply because you feel like you're always behind the curve, right? Like it is impossible to stay up with all the technologies. But even aside from the technology part, I have uh, a lot of feelings of the, the imposter syndrome type stuff about uh, ticketing systems. Like why haven't I thought this problem out through so much? So it's not even about its code. It's why didn't I uh, foresee these problems in the business logic or um, not raising the flag soon enough if there was going to be some sort of problem or, or just not realizing that I should have done something ahead of time. And these aren't tech problems. This isn't a problem with me not knowing uh, tech X, Y, and Z. These are me just thinking I'm an incompetent human being because of how I'm interacting uh, at work. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking more like, why is it taking me this long to move the logo five pixels? You know what, though? I think part of that, though, is because... So like with Joe, I can, I think I can sort of speak to yours. Like 
you like to do things right. Same thing with outlaw. Like you guys like to do things right. And you, you have in your mind how long you think it's going to take you to do something like that. Right. And, and I I know I'm this way too, to where if you communicate that it's going to take you three days, then if that three days comes up and you haven't gotten where you need to be, Oh, you don't want to back, you don't want to back down. Right. And so like, that's where I feel like I beat myself up about it. And that's the problem. And and here's the thing. Because you'll like work yourself to death. Yeah. To the bone trying to like meet your deadline, which only sets yourself up for future problems. Yeah. Because then you're like, you know, the next time you get some deadline, they're like, well, Outlaw did this in three days last time, so he could probably do it again. And, you know, this other similar. Well, that and. You know, you're working at, uh, say, 9 o'clock at night. There's no one around to ask questions on when you run into problems. So you end up having to make these kind of assumptions because you're scrambling to get something done. You get it no, done no, no, right no, no, at no. the end you of when you said it was going to be You don't be ask done. anyone questions because then that only goes into – that only oh, feeds right. the imposter syndrome. No, man, that's what that's the beauty of Stack Overflow. It's completely – you could just query anonymously yeah. and ask your questions there. And no one has to know. No one has to know it was you. Although I will say though, and this is this is almost a little bit selfish on my part. I almost prefer to work when nobody else is online. I get so oh. much more done. Oh yeah, because of the quiet. Yeah, I mean, I get so much more done. Like when people are pinging me throughout the day or whatever, it's like I know that I've written two lines of code in the past three hours. But you know, yeah, they say every interruption costs fifteen minutes because it not only is it the time taking away, but also just trying to get back up to speed to to everything that you had in your head and everything that you're doing. I believe doing. that's accurate. I mean, but I mean, I guess on the imposter thing though, like a lot of times it's it's these the high standards that we've set ourselves up for that we try to achieve, and then when you don't do that, that also puts you back in that rut because you're like, yeah, I th- dude, I knew this was going to be three days, but here I am on day three. 16 hours into the day still fighting it and it's because you want to achieve that right i think okay here's a couple of thoughts that came to mind that as it relates to engineers maybe it's because we're so binary you either you either succeed you're either a success or you're not mm. and so when you do run into questions or you have problems then maybe that's when it's like well i guess i'm not the success side because i'm over here right or let's take another example. Maybe let's talk about like, you know, the quote businessman or businesswoman case, right? You know, I'm not like, you know, Uber construction man, you know, you know, uh, businessman, but maybe they think in terms of their success as dollars. And if they have more dollars than person B, then they are more successful than person B. And therefore they can feel like, Hey, I'm, Okay, but then as soon as they get next to person C, then they're like, "Oh, I'm not making as much money. I'm therefore not as worthy." And you know, I don't know. M- maybe that's it. But I also notice too though, some people just seem to be. There's also a difference in personality too, where some people are just more full of themselves, and I don't necessarily mean that as a bad way, like it is so often taken. But they're just their confidence is high just in themselves. Period. Why are you looking at me? I'm totally, um, I'm totally kidding. You know, because I didn't know how to say this earlier. No, uh, it it really it's a challenging thing, it, and really, I would be surprised if most people don't feel this to some certain degree, right? Like the first time that you were given MDX, did you not panic a little bit? Well, but this is why I was questioning that last <laughs> sentence, though. It's particularly high among high achieving women. So you just said. 
you imagine that everyone would have this, but yet the studies don't. And well, that's why I find it Wikipedia. curious. You can't believe everything they say. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, there's some fighting words. Well, I don't like to hang out with somebody who isn't neurotic. So well, that's interesting. That's just, that's just part of the, the deal, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the fact is... And by the way, that's actually 23 minutes for the average interruption. Oh, really? Nice. Yep. I mean, it, so here's the thing. It's real, right? Like you've experienced it. I've experienced it. We've all experienced it. The people in the Slack channel, like this request to talk about this came up more than once, right? Like this is not something that's small. So if you feel it, just understand it's, it's natural. It, it happens, but the way you overcome that is you just, you know, you, you knock down those, those barriers. So keep calm. Yep, 90% of uh, success is just uh, showing up right keep, I promise keep calm you. code on that is I, I swear to you that is so true man i know look <laughs> i know people that have an eighth of the brain power as most everybody that we deal with on any given day and are incredibly successful because either they were too stubborn or too dumb to give up right? well i look at like, yeah like sometimes when i get stressed out about something like that you know and and um yeah, you know, to Joe's point about just showing up, like I often will just tell myself, like, okay, there's the path to success, right? And there are these steps that you have to take. You know, one, two, three, whatever they are, however many steps. If you don't take the steps, then you've already automatically failed. Yeah. So you just got to keep going and yep. keep iterating on it until you do finish the task at hand. And maybe you know, but when you're done, you hope that it's success. It's success that you finished it. But so take, they they always say that either way, you got to own it. Yes. And we've, we've talked about that before. Um, I forget uh, when we had the big conversation about it. But basically, even if you screw up, you know, if you are, if it's taking longer, whatever, you need to just kind of buckle down, send whatever emails you got to say, you know, to send and just kind of keep showing up, keep plugging away. And whatever you do, don't, uh, you, know, or, you know, try not to uh, go hide in the bathroom and play Candy Crush. <laughs> and do it sooner rather than later, right? Like we did talk about that with the, um, with the advanced programmer in that series is if you know that you are slipping behind, don't wait till the last minute to do it because that's when imposter syndrome is really going to kick you in the teeth because you're going to be sitting there working till three, four in the morning trying to get something done. When if you had just let somebody know two weeks in advance, like, yo, I keep getting, you know, pulled off or whatever it is. Well, I mean, not only that, but like your customer, whether that be your boss or, you know, a paying customer, they're going to really appreciate that advance. The sooner you give them that advance notice, as soon as you realize that you're not going to make it, then, you know, they're going to really appreciate it. Yeah, totally. Hey, this, and then this, they're going to say like, oh, he's an imposter. That's why he can't do it. <laughs> and then you're going to be like, oh, gosh, I should crawl back into my shell because I suck. Dude, this reminds me like, um, th- this is going back to my teenage years. But I remember there was some girl that, you know, I really wanted to ask out and I was so scared, right? Like it was one of those. So of course you don't. That's what we all did. Right. And and so, you know, you know what probably the best advice, and this goes back to that whole showing up thing, the best advice I ever got. I don't even know who the guy was anymore. I think he was my manager when I was bagging groceries at some store. He was like, dude, what's the worst that's going to happen? She's going to say no? Yeah, yeah. that's. And that's, I was like. There you go. Oh, my God. She's going to say no and then giggle at you and point at you, and you're going to be like in front of the cafeteria, and then you're going to realize, oh, crap, I didn't wear pants today. And then everyone's going to start laughing at you and throwing food at you. <laughs> it could get really bad, man. I don't know. Like, 
you know how many girls you've asked out before, but apparently it doesn't sound like it was a lot because it can get really bad. I feel like we just deep dived into <laughs> some some dark corner <laughs> of outlaw's psyche. <laughs> but dude, totally like seriously. After that, I remember thinking, oh wow. And then after that, he said something like, "It'll just get easier to say it the next time." Like like you know, if you get rejected once, it hurts really bad. Then you get rejected again, and it doesn't hurt. Fortunately for me, I've never been rejected. But you know what I'm uh. saying. <laughs> Remember when I was saying some people are just more full of themselves? And you were like, hey, man, why are you looking at me? there really is an imposter in your midst. Oh, man. But no, seriously, like, it's that same type thing. I feel like you're an imposter acting as an imposter. Like, you're really not an imposter. Like, you ever think that? This is like, what's that movie? Um, Inception? Inception, yes. That's where we've just gone. (laughs) Um, No, but, I mean, seriously, though, it's that whole thing. Like, if you just keep... Keep going forward. Success will follow as long as you are doing things and you're always trying to improve. Like that imposter is always going to be there, but it's it's that work ethic that okay. will really get you through it. So I think the takeaway here is if I take Alan's story here and I <laughs> apply it to the code here, if yes. I keep asking the code out, eventually it's going to work out. It and will. It's going to get done. Yeah. It will blossom. Well, what I heard here is that... Um, you probably feel uh, miserable now, uh, unless you're a new programmer, in which case um, you still have to uh, to get there. Oh, you haven't and been broken down enough if you're a new programmer. No, and then you're gonna you're gonna break down. and You're gonna stay there for most of your career. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to programming. Welcome aboard. Now come join us on Slack so that we can all grovel and <laughs> drink away yep. our sorrows. We will help you chat. with your pity. Yes. Oh man. Yep, and we take a shot every time someone says, starts a sentence with my manager, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, man. That's amazing. All right, so in the resources we like section, we're going to have lots of self-help books. <laughs> Chicken soup for the soul. That'll be number one. <laughs> Chicken soup for the software Love developer. Uh, well, affiliate links to uh, whiskey. <laughs> Oh, this man. episode is sponsored by Maker's Mark. Oh, that's that's <laughs> absolutely amazing. No, it's really not sponsored by them. They'd be nice. No. Yeah, it would be good. Uh, resources we like. Uh, so uh, last episode, I bought a book on air and uh, was asked a couple times uh, which one it was. And uh, the name is Design Patterns. Uh, that's pretty common. But if you go to sourcemaking.com, They've actually got a lot of really cool uh, uh, stuff written about, and you can actually read uh, most, if not all, of the book online, actually, for free. So uh, you should go to that website, and I wish I had read a little bit better before last episode. Their examples are actually really good, uh, which is really hard to find for most design patterns. So uh, definitely wanted to mention that one. We'll have a link in the show notes, which are at www.codingblocks.net slash episode 43. We've got a few other ones. I'm just adding them randomly. So we have CSS Zen Garden. Oh, I had those in the notes. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Also, the Mario Kart thing so that you can waste some time playing Mario Brothers and CSS. That's amazing. Uh, And then that's pretty much it. So now on to the tips of the week. So one of the things, we've talked about this tool a lot in the past, and and I just really have got... Resharper. No, not this re-sharper. is a resharper one. I, I'm debating re-upping my subscription for the all toolkit. Uh, I'm, Sorry, I'm, I'm considering it, but but WebStorm. So I, I'm getting to where I really dig this thing. Other than it being a complete memory hog, I really like the IDE. 
one of the things that I just found recently that I love even more about it, have either of you ever dealt with JS doc? It's kind of like comments, like your C sharp. If you do the, the triple slash, it'll oh, open. Summary document. Yeah. The summary documentation It's similar to that. So JS docs is very similar to that. So like if you do a slash star star, then it will automatically kick in JS docs. So like if you're above a method, um, where you've already kind of filled out the method, it'll go in and fill in the parameters and all that kind of stuff, which I've always known about and I like a lot. But one of the things that I found that was really sweet is it'll do deep linking. So I'm a fan of, in my JavaScript, I don't like, and even in C Sharp, right? Like if I get past like three or four parameters, then I'm getting ready to start putting in like a request object or some sort of config object that you pass into a method. Because I don't like long signatures. They drive me crazy. So you can do the same thing in JavaScript. And a lot of frameworks will do that where you pass in some sort of config object, right? If in that JS doc above it, you do, um, like, let's say that you called the parameter config. You can do config dot, give it a type. And then when you go to use that thing in your code and you do config dot, it will actually know, based off the JS doc, the various different nested parameters that are there. So it will deep link the JS documents, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, so that's my tip. Um, so slash star star and web storm above some sort of JavaScript thing. It'll bring up the JS docs and then you can do deep linking and I'll try and get a sample up so that you guys can see what I'm talking about. Very cool. All right. So mine is the output clause. Joe, do you ever use that? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know Alan does. That's uh, I'm why not I'm sure. Output clause. <laughs> All right. So, oh, I do. Actually, I um was recently uh, had a demo demo of this, uh, and it's awesome. Yeah, this is a very cool uh yeah. you know SQL Server uh, T SQL feature, where <clears throat> if you're not already using it, let's say you want to um you know insert some records in a table, but then you're like, what did I just insert? Specifically, if that table has a primary key so you can't create the primary key you need it to be you know created for you and and the the, the sql server tell you, you know, or the, the database server tell you what the key is right uh and you know assuming it's an identity column right so you know, you insert that record in there now you want to know what you just inserted so that you can have the key back well you could do something like uh an insert into table and then in parentheses whatever your columns are and then output inserted dot star and then have a values statement with whatever you want to do. So let's say you had two columns and two values you're going to do. So you'd say insert into table parentheses column one comma column two in parentheses output inserted dot star values print open parentheses one comma two in parentheses because we're only inserting those two numbers into the two columns. And what gets returned back is a the same as a select statement that would have um, those two columns with those two values coming back to you. So you can see what, what was inserted. So it's a very cool way of, especially when you have like an, you know, an identity column that, uh, uh, you know, where the, the database server is going to create that key for you, you can get back what the value was, right? And, it, and I said inserted dot star, but you could say, uh, inserted dot and then whatever column or columns you wanted back, right? And this is cool too because you could work on it 
like, for example, in a uh, delete statement. So you could say delete from this table where blah, 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 but you know, output deleted dot star. And then that way it returns back. So maybe you want to put it, you know, you want to do something else with that value. Maybe you want to put it into some kind of history table or whatever. Or if you wanted to have a, you know, at, use this output um, um, statement as part of a, a uh, what am I trying to say here? Like a return? Well, no, I was thinking of an example of like um, like a change log kind of scenario, right? Oh, yeah, like a so, log table. So, yeah. you know, going back to Alan's um, order statuses where he wants to know <laughs> when the <laughs> date was valid. order statuses. Oh, yeah, my order statuses. Um, then you could have your update statement uh, return uh, the, you know, the updated dot star so that you would know what was just updated so that if you wanted to insert that into a, another table for, you know, like logging kind of, you know, historical information, then you could. And so it's going to change, you know, if it's being deleted, then it's going to be deleted dot star. If it's inserted, it's going to be inserted dot star. Uh, I think I said updated dot star, but I think that's wrong, right? It's just inserted it's deleted and deleted, and if inserted, I remember yeah. right. Yeah. So. Oh, no update? Well, no, no update. No. The Would data you... that changed, the old data is deleted. And the new data that you up that you overwrote it with is inserted. Okay. Okay. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but it's a very cool thing that if you're not already using, then maybe it can be a way for you to use it. It could definitely, if you were previously doing something like, Hey, let me insert this into this record (laughs) or into this table, and then let me select it back out so that I can return it back to the user. Right. Well, now you can do those two operations in one statement and be done. Yes. Oh yeah. I've definitely done that. And I've also done nasty stuff where like I insert to like a temp table first and then do my stuff and then use that temp table to make other decisions later on because I, you know, destroy the data that I need. And so, yeah, that, uh, this is a much better way of doing or it. It's not a terrible practice depending on what you're doing with the temp table. In very rare circumstances, maybe you turn the identity off, make your own up yep. and then turn it back on. And then that way, you know, I it. try never to do that. <laughs> There's cases. I feel like I'm breaking the laws in, of databases if yeah. I turn identity insert off. I'm, That's like it's like changing gravity. You wouldn't want to do it in code, but I am thinking of. I'm trying to think of like some examples where, like in uh, maybe like some initialization type. You totally. Do uh, that. Yeah, like version two scenarios where you want the IDs to be very specific right. values. Yep, totally. Yeah, which is uh, that's a good topic for one day. Do we go by uh, IDs or by values? Oh man. But uh, yeah, we don't. We don't want to go there. Uh, it's too late. I got video games to play. <laughs> Add it to the list. Um, so uh, I guess we're up to me. I, I actually just found this um, on Hacker News. There is a uh, GitHub, uh, or there's a project here. This could be like a Chrome plugin that lets you go to definition in GitHub the same way you would like a static language. And so you install this Chrome plugin. And now when you're looking at a GitHub project, you can uh, right-click on like a variable or a function name rather, and it will zip you over to the file and let you see that. And so what I do now a lot of times, if I'm just trying to look through a project to figure out how something works, like an open source project I'm using, I'll oftentimes I'll download the source and then open up in Visual Studio just so I can navigate around it easier than trying to you know browse through those files and um, kind of control F. And so this looks like a great way of browsing repos uh, without having to go through that those extra steps. So if you find yourself on GitHub often, this might be something to check Dude, out. that's pretty sick. 
Yeah, it's slick, huh? And it looks like it, it works really well. I've added it. I haven't used it much. So I've just kind of done a couple uh, samples. Huh. That's nifty. Yeah, and I haven't seen if it's um, if there's any languages it's limited to or not. Um, I just was looking at a JavaScript project, and it worked great for that. Awesome. I mean, as well as anything works for JavaScript projects. Huh. Is it only... But it only works for GitHub pull requests. Uh, only for GitHub, yep. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, a Chrome plugin for GitHub. Right, right, right. Huh, very cool. All right. Well, that brings this show to an end. So with that, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And be sure to give us a review on iTunes and Stitcher if you haven't already. We would greatly appreciate it. And contact us with any questions or topics and visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find all our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And visit us at... (laughs) (laughs) I did it again, (laughs) and I've done this several times. Send us your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net and uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter or join us in Slack and uh, chat me up. And and you can join us on Slack by going to www.codingblocks.net slash Slack. So that be it. What is this? Episode 43? Yep. Yep. That is where I'm at.